Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. As we continue our, our study um, in the book of Matthew, uh, I just want to say to you once again, uh, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you. He, You don't deserve a call. Uh, you're nothing special, but He calls out to you and He, he wants you to come to Him. Uh, I know that... Uh, we have all kinds of different ideas of what uh, should be and shouldn't be, that life should be, and that uh, the importance of ourselves. But Jesus is calling you. Um, and He's calling you away from your sin, your sinful life. Uh, the things that you have done and are doing, He's calling you away from them to Himself. And... He wants us to abandon that and run to Him. But for some of us, uh, we say, well, I, I'm not involved in any sinful life. I, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm not a drunk. I'm not involved in any kind of perversion or immorality. Uh, I, I don't cheat. I, I, I'm conscientious with money and I, I'm not a someone who wastes and, and and you list out for yourself the things that you aren't doing and and you say well so Jesus is calling sinners but I'm not that that's not me but especially in the section that we've been looking at I would say this to you that Jesus is also calling those of you who live by your own self-rules. You have these ideas and thoughts that this is the way life should go. Uh, This is what's right and what's wrong. And I live this way, and everybody else who is good lives this way. Self-rule. The idea that your own ideas and thoughts should govern yourself and everybody else. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to abandon that way of life and to follow after Him. As we look at Matthew chapter 12, we're looking at a a section of a man uh, who has an issue with his hand. And uh, if you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you verses 9 and down through verse 14 says this of Jesus. He went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man that was there with a withered hand and they and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
God, I ask your blessing on our time and your word. Uh, May the message of Jesus, your son, be loud and clear in our ears. May it be attractive in our ears. May it be one that causes us to abandon all other thoughts and cling to him. And God, thank you for this morning and your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. may be seated. Last week, uh, we, we looked at a similar story of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. And a very simple story in the sense that the, him and his disciples were walking and uh, they grabbed uh, some of the grain that they saw in the field. And the Pharisees looked upon it and they say, Aha, you work on the Sabbath. You harvest and you, you thresh and you, you, you eat on this. You, you're doing these things that were, uh, would be considered banned under, under the Old Testament law because it's the Sabbath. And once again, we have this picture where Jesus uh, is being accused of working on the Sabbath. What you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made so that man should rest. So that they would know uh, the idea of setting down. Um, I think in our culture, uh, uh, maybe we Sabbath a little too much. Right? Uh, we're more than ready and willing. And we prepare uh, to sit down. And we look for opportunity to sit down. Um, and so Jesus is accused once again. It's very similar to the last section. You have uh, prior to that, Jesus calling both to the sinner and to the self-righteous. He says, come, come to me. I have a place for you. You need to follow me. And that's for us this morning. That we need to be followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus, they look to him. They look to him. They hold on to his hand. They, wa- they look to him for every step along the road both for affirmation and for don't go there, it's dangerous. And so we see uh, down in God's word in verse 9, it says that that he went on from there and entered the synagogue. We don't have a time frame here, whether it was on the same day or the week after or the week after that, but it says that he went on and entered the synagogue. Uh, the synagogue. The synagogue was the center of the community. It was the place where people came and they met with one another and they uh, connected with one another. They ate with one another. They worshiped with one another. It was the center of society. And, and probably in, in the sense where he says they went into their synagogue, it wasn't really connecting probably with the Pharisees so much as it was connecting with the people. And that Jesus went to the center of their community and he was with them. And, and as you have these onlooking Pharisees and as you see these people, this is where Jesus was and this is the setting of our story today. It says this about uh, in the synagogue in verse 10. And there was a man there with a withered hand. A withered hand. There was something wrong with his hand. It was shrunk back. It most likely didn't have the, the, um, the muscle and the 
the connection that it would be usable. And so he had one hand uh, that was usable and another hand that was not. And it was front and center. You, you get this picture that once again it was another setup. As Jesus was known as a healer, he came and before there, there's a man and it's obvious that he could use healing. And in uh, really the Pharisees' way of doing things, another setup. Almost to dare. Almost placing it in front of Jesus and saying, I triple dog dare you to heal this man. I place him before you. And what is he going to do now? It's the Sabbath. We know we've got him. So there's this man and and it says this, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And it tells their intent as well so that they might accuse him. It's interesting, uh, when we study the Bible, some of us have this sick idea that knowing what the Scripture means is so that we can somehow look brilliant and that we can use it for theological wrangling. That we can get into it with people and say, aha, you don't know what you're talking about because this verse says this, and so you're wrong. And I I got you. You're wrong and I'm right. I'm right. And you get this motive in there that there was somehow that these men wanted to be right more than they wanted to know about Jesus. And so it placed before him is this man with the withered hand. And a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? There's a catch. Uh, We've caught you in false teaching. You're going against the law. It's interesting in the writings of the Jews outside of the Scripture, their added writings, they had had a, a particular verse that spoke of something similar to this. Where it says, when when there is a doubt of life, when there is a doubt of life, where life is in the balance, the danger of that life overrides the Sabbath. Okay? So they had a, a, a picture that if it was a danger of someone's life, that you could uh, set the Sabbath aside so that their life would be preserved. But this was even a sliver past that, right? It was just a little bit different. This man's hand uh, might have been like this since birth. And the idea that, that he would not be able to use his hand for another day, he could have waited. Jesus could have waited. And so they put this man before Jesus his withered hand, and then ask, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Remember, the Sabbath was for rest for the weary worker. And so they look to Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jesus, I love, I love the way Jesus answers and responds. Make a note of it in your Bible. Look for it. What does he say? Yes, no, 
He does not say that. He says, let me ask you a question. It's good parenting, by the way. Not to just give a yes or no answer, but hey, let me walk you through this. Let me ask you a question. Let me give you an illustration that you might see the answer to your question. Jesus gives them this example by way of question. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? He points to them and this may be likely that he is pointing to the idea that you have one sheep, just one. That you don't have a, a flock of sheep, right? That you don't have a hundred and one of them falls into a pit on the Sabbath. It may be this one is your whole herd right here. This is your livelihood. This is your bank account, if you will. And you're, you're walking and you find your sheep and you realize it's fallen into a pit. And he says, which one of you, when it's worth everything to you, would leave your, your one sheep there in the pit because it's the Sabbath? And the obvious answer will be, well, no, we would take it out because it's so valuable to us, because it's worth it, because it's ours, because this is something unusual, that it's important for the well-being of the sheep. You think about that, and there, there are many illustrations of how do you treat animals? How do you treat animals? How would you, and, and we value animals. How many of you are animal lovers here today? A lot of crazy people here this morning, a lot of crazy people. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a love-hate relationship, right? You ever had a puppy? Make you crazy. Make you crazy. Uh, you know, there, there's this sense of taking care of your animals. Proverbs even tells us that it, it shows the heart of a man how they treat their beast. And, and, and you, you look at this and you go, you, you need it. If, if your animal's in the... He didn't know. He didn't know. He, he You know... Sheep are dumb, you know, they get into pits, you know, it's one of those things. So even on the Sabbath, would you take care of it? No, well, well sure, you got to. It's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Jesus points to a logical thing for them, that they would have taken care of their valued property, maybe their bank account, if you will. And then he makes the connection of that which is lesser to that which is greater. Would you do this? Would you break the Sabbath? Would you take care of this? If it was protecting your family from a hundred dollar loss. And he says, well, of course you would. Of course you would. Well, then of course you would do something that's worth a million dollars, right? That something of far greater worth. Jesus points to this as he says this. He says, of how much more value is a man than sheep? You, you read that and Jesus makes clear that he sees people, that, that he sees animals of value, but he sees people of far greater value. Remember that. Remember that. If you have animals, remember that. 
Your animals are important. You must take care of them. It's what God wants you to do. And how much greater your children? How much greater your spouse? How much greater your aging parents? Jesus points to the value of animals and He says you would take care of them, but how much greater people? How much greater? And... uh, then uh, he pronounces the verdict. Jesus, um, you see him acting as a human. He, 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 uh, he converses with people and he grants them honor that they don't deserve, that he would uh, have an interchange with them in conversation. But there are times where Jesus just sets the, his humanness aside and pronounces the verdict of God. This is one of those times. They asked him a question and he didn't say, well, I think that this is the right answer. But he pronounces a verdict where he says, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. As the authority, as Jesus uh, being the one who is Lord over the Sabbath, Jesus says, let me tell you about the Sabbath. It's good. It is right for you to do good on the Sabbath. And the idea being that on the Sabbath and every other day, right? You don't take a rest from being good and honoring Him and doing what's right on the Sabbath. And then in verse 13, He shows the healing miracle. Then He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. It was a good day at the synagogue. I would have been glad had I been there. I just gotten there at the right time, and I, I, it would have been great. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you just showed up and something happened significant. And this would have been one of those days. First of all, the the religious leaders trying to get into Jesus, and you say, "Oh, this is going to be good." I've seen him wipe these people out before. I want to see it again. You know, and they're having this interchange and you're watching and you see the man with the withered hand. And then Jesus turns to him and he says, stretch out your hand. And the room's quiet and you see him stretch out his hand and the, the, the hand become usable and he holds out the other and they look the same. Wouldn't it have been amazing? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have, like, it would have been, you would have felt like a, a, a four-year-old at the magic show, right? How did he do that? This is amazing. It doesn't matter how old you are. You go, this is the one. This is the one. He's doing miracles. I've heard that he does miracles. I saw it with my own eyes. should have uh, thrilled their hearts. It should have drawn them to the Savior, the Messiah. Jesus speaks words. It it doesn't, you know, not that any miracle that Jesus did in different ways, different times, but he just speaks. Just stretch out your hand. Just stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand. And by his word, um, 
Jesus restores this man uh, that his hand would be healthy like the other. Well, my last point this morning, um, I just say withered heart, withered heart. Once again, we come to the place, as we did in the last passage, where uh, Jesus provided uh, the Pharisees when they saw the grain being picked and they realized that that was against the Sabbath in their mind, they, their response should have been, oh, we'll go get them a sandwich. We'll go take care of their food. Their response should have been different. Oh, Jesus is there. He's got this one taken care of. I don't need to stick my nose into this. And the Pharisees here in their withered heart, that man had a withered hand. The Pharisees had a dead heart, dead heart. Because their response to a miracle showing up in their midst, seeing it with their own eyes, was this. It says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's the wrong response. It, it, It doesn't connect with the story. It seems like there's a verse out of place. It seems like there's no way that anyone could do that. And yet, because of the deadness of their own heart, The only thing that they were concerned with was that Jesus would be brought down. That Jesus would not receive more attention. You you realize that Jesus and the Pharisees were vying for the same crowd, right? They were uh, seeking the attention and leadership of the same people. And every time Jesus did something like this, it showed the worth of following after Jesus and the worthlessness of following the ways of the Pharisees. The Pharisees showed no amazement. Showed no amazement. There was no rejoicing with the man, with the hand. You you think if there's a possibility that some of those Pharisees knew that man. They knew how he had struggled. Both just to live, to make a living. The discouragement of not having something in your body that doesn't work. Something so important as a hand. But the Pharisees weren't rejoicing with the man. And most importantly, with the Pharisees, there was no worship. There was no worship. It may have just been a conversation where they were arguing about the law, which people do. What's right? What's wrong? But when they saw that Jesus was the Lord over all, when it was displayed before them in this miracle, their response should have been, as they see the man with the hand, to bow and to worship before Jesus. But there was none of it. There was only a a greater resolve to strategize a way that they could kill and destroy Jesus. Well, some questions for us to ask ourselves. And I don't know, I, I, um, I love questions for myself, maybe because I'm always arguing with myself in my mind. 
And, and maybe it's because um, in the privacy of our own heart, our head, the conversation that we have with ourselves, it's really the only place where you can get an honest answer. And sometimes we even lie to ourselves and then the other self says, no, you're lying, quit that, and you go back and forth and back and forth. But this is the place where business is done in our head and heart. This is the place where Jesus needs to work. Because on the outside, we can change things on the outside. We, we can rearrange the furniture, if you will. But the heart is still the same. My three questions I have for you this morning. First one is this. What makes you rejoice? What makes you rejoice? The healing of Jesus or your own personal vindication? I'm right. I'm right. You know what? Who cares if we're right? It's not the goal of our life is to be right. Our our goal of our life is to see Jesus at work in our life and the lives around us. What is it that makes us rejoice? Healing or personal vindication? Um, Second question. Is your popularity and greatness more important than Jesus? Is your popularity and greatness more important than Jesus? You see, this is what was such an agitation to the Pharisees. It is that they had been important prior to Jesus coming. And then as John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and then Jesus himself, they had been losing popularity. The same followers, some of them that had followed them, were now no longer following. And they were following after Jesus. And it bothered them. Because they were losing a, a, a hold on the things that were most dear to them. And I want to ask you, is your popularity and greatness more important than Jesus? Are you willing to let go to follow after Him? That was the picture of the disciples, you remember, right? As we looked earlier in the book of Matthew, you have some fishermen, they left fishing. Why? Because they were now following after Jesus. It's not that they didn't know how to fish anymore. Even Jesus challenged that a couple of times. But they they left it because they were following Jesus now. You have Matthew, the tax collector. And and he sees this sinful occupation that he's doing and the reasons that he's doing it. And he just says, I'm leaving it behind. I'm walking away. And, And this is the danger for us is that we love our identity the, the picture that we are, are the most popular or the greatest. And this is what's important to us. Instead of Jesus. We want to gather followers to ourselves that prop us up and tell us how great we are. As opposed to seeing Jesus being great in my life. And the lives of the people around me. Um, it's a parenting deal too, right? Uh, as parents, sometimes we're super offended. We're super offended when our kids don't give us 
the credit that we so deserve. And we want them, we want to hear them say, you're great, I thank you for the sacrifice you make. I acknowledge that you did this for me. We want that. Or do we want them just to follow after Jesus? And for us never to get noticed. My last question. And these are all kind of the same question, by the way, now that I'm looking at them. What's most important to you? Jesus or you? What's most important? What's the most important thing for you in your life right now? Jesus or you? For the Pharisees, it was a simple answer. They were the most important. In fact, so important that they wanted to wipe Jesus out. But for us here today, uh, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Is it you or Jesus? A simple message for people who struggle. I struggle as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that your word would uh, work in our uh, work out in our, our hearts and lives right now. God, I know we struggle. I, I struggle to think about these things and to understand how I, I'm appalled when I, I see the Pharisees and how they treated Jesus. And yet I know that same heart is in me apart from you. That my heart is dead. That I, I, I struggle for supremacy when Jesus is meant to be the one, the King. God, change us, I pray. Draw our hearts to your son, Jesus. May we respond to his call that says, come to me. God, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed. To this madness and my undue.